neither in the world to come. Mr. Tabby says he has three co-equal persons. Equal in power, as another creed says, substance and in glory. What sort of a co-equality is there in this heavenly committee of his? When you can blaspheme divine person number two, the son, with impunity, or at least knowing that you can be forgiven, but if you blaspheme divine person number three, the Holy Ghost, you will not be forgiven. Where is the co-equality there? If the Son is co-equal with the Holy Ghost, wouldn't it be equally serious to blaspheme either of them? Praying, Mr. Tobby wants me to define prayer. In John 17 and verse 9, we'll read a little about prayer. John 17 and verse 9. The Son says, I pray for them. Thus we have the Son praying to the Father. Now Mr. Toppy is here defending the proposition that God eternally exists in three co-equal persons. Co-equal persons. Yet we have the Son praying to the Father. Are we to believe that this is one God praying to another God? Can he produce anything in the Word of God to show us where the Father prays to the Son? Why not? If they're co-equal. If they're co-equal, it's all right for the Son to pray to the Father. All right, so he says. Also, if they're co-equal, wouldn't it be all right for the Father to pray to the Son? <laughs> Let me tell you, it's not an equal who engages in prayer. It's a dependent. Did you hear that? It's somebody who needs help. Mr. Toppy's ludicrous conception of God visualizes one God praying to another God. And as I said the other evening, once a God begins to pray to another God, he ungods himself. I know any God who needs to pray himself can't help me. I'm going to pass him up and go to the one he's praying to. Three co-equal persons. A sticky wicked, Mr. Harvey, indeed. All right, we're not through. We've got lots of ammunition. I've got so much ammunition tonight that I've no time to talk about personality. And I've got no time to slam anybody here tonight. Of course, maybe I'm feeling extra good because it's St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to find out a little bit more about these co-equal persons that Mr. Totty is defending. I tell you, Totty, you made the biggest mistake of your debating career when you put your signature to that proposition, co-equal persons. Let's see how co-equal the Father and the Son are in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, reading, please, from verse 24. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. That's who is God in our book, Mr. Totty, the Father. And he shall deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. 
For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest, it, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. Now listen to verse 28 and tell me if it harmonizes with Mr. Coffey's conception of the Godhead of three persons who are eternally co-equal. And when all things shall be subjected unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Here we have a son who is going to be subject to the Father eternally. Mr. Toby says, no, no, no. He'll be equal to the Father eternally. The Bible says, subject to the Father. I accept the Bible. Amen? Mark 14 and 36. Mark 14 and 36. Another verse in connection with these co-equal persons. He asked the other night and maintained we didn't answer his question. What was meant when Jesus in the garden said, Not what I will, but what thou wilt. All right, Mark 14.36. He said, Abba Father, the Son addressing the Father, All things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Not what I will, but what thou wilt. In Luke 22 and 42 I read, The Son says, Not my will, but thine be done. Will he tell us that they are co-equal in will? Here I see one will bending and bowing and giving place to another will. Where's the co-equality of will? Tell us, Mr. Coffey, if you can. Hebrews 5 and verse 8. Hebrews 5 and verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. The son is spoken of as learning obedience. Mr. Coffey says that God eternally exists in three co-equal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now I read where the Son learns. In other words, he got to know things which he didn't know before. As Luke 2 and 52 says of him, he increased in wisdom. Mr. Todd, if the Son is co-equal with the Father and with the Holy Ghost, tell me then, does your Father need to learn? And does your Holy Ghost need to learn? Does the Spirit of Truth learn anything? He says the Son learned, or at least he must admit the Son learned. The Bible says the Son learned. Well, he stand here and says yes, and the Father learns too. Will he stand here and say, yes, and the Holy Ghost learn? I defy him. Why, he'd be laughed out of Martinsville if he stood here and said, the Father learns. He'd be laughed out of Martinsville if he stood here and said, the Holy Spirit learns. Yet we know the Son learns. Co-equal. Not taught in my Bible. Three co-equal persons. What book are you reading, Mr. Totter? The reverse version? John 8 and 28. John 8 and 28. Don't underestimate these one God people. Don't do it. I'm confident that after this debate you won't. John 8 and 28. 
Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I can do nothing of myself, but as the Father hath taught me. Well, close. Three co-equal persons. Obviously all knowing as much as the other. But the Father teaching the Son something just the same. The Father hath taught me. Here's one God teaching another God. Three co-equal persons. When the Son says, the Father hath taught me. Where's the co-equality of knowledge? Not in this book. John 14 and verse 10. The Son says, The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the work. Who raised the dead in the ministry of Jesus? The Father. Who opened the blind eyes in the ministry of Jesus? The Father. Who unstopped the deaf ears in the ministry of Jesus? The Father. Who made the lame to walk? In the ministry of Jesus. The Father. Who was responsible for every last supernatural element in the ministry of Jesus. The Father. The Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the work. If the Son were equal with the Father. Will Mr. Toddy tell us why he didn't do the work himself? Isn't that a fair question? If the Father and the Son have co-equal power. Why didn't the Son do the supernatural works himself? He said he didn't do the works himself. That is, as a man. The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the work. Co-equality. Find it in the Bible if you can. All right now. The proposition reads that God eternally exists in three co-equal persons. Or in other words, thus has it ever been. There never was a time when there wasn't a Father, Son, and Holy Ghost who are co-equal with each other, says Mr. Cuff. You can't go back far enough to find the Father alone. He was always there with a co-equal son and a co-equal spirit, according to Mr. Potter. Not the son. That's how the proposition reads. Find that expression in the Bible. I never read of God the Son in the Bible, neither does Mr. Potter. But I do read about the Son of God. All right. God the Son, to begin with, is an unscriptural expression. It's not found in the book. That's what has gotten the Roman Catholic Church off in such a violent doctrinal tangent. Ask them who Mary was. They'll say the mother of God. Without batting an eyelid, they'll say the mother of God. Why do they say that? Because like Mr. Toddy, they believe in God the Son. And if there is such a thing as God the Son, then the papists are right. Mary is the mother of God. How broken can you get? Hear me tonight. My Bible never speaks of an eternal son anywhere. John 3.16 tells me what sort of a son there is. Here it is. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Does anybody know the difference between eternal and begotten? <laughs> begotten means that you have a point of origination. And that's what the Son had according to Hebrews 1 and 5. This day have I begotten thee. Let it sink in. This day have I begotten thee. Or in other words, the day before that, he was not in existence as such. This day have I begotten thee. 
talking about God eternally existing in three co-equal persons. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost. When the Bible speaks about the begotten Son and tells us the very day in which he was begotten. Not an existence before that day. Now this is what I said. If Mr. Poppy stands it through that God eternally exists in three co-equal persons, God the Father, God the Son, I say to Mr. Poppy, you find the Son for us in the Old Testament. Find the Son for us in the Old Testament. But hear this. Find the Son, not the word Son, S-O-S. But find the Son for us in the Old Testament in existence in Old Testament times. You know, you couldn't find the Son in existence in Old Testament times to save your life. If He eternally coexists with the Father, that shouldn't be a hard job to do. You should be able to find Him in many parts of the Word of God. All right. Quite a number of the epistles open with salutations. 1 Corinthians 1, 3, 2 Corinthians 1, 2, Galatians 1, 3, Ephesians 1, 2, Philippians 1, 2, and they are very similar. They read like this. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and all the Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't imagine that affords any comfort for those who think there are two. I get letters, let me confess this, I get letters from my wife and sweetheart. But don't think I'm getting letters from two different women. She is my wife and she is my sweetheart. Jesus is my father and he's also the son of God. Now these salutations, the Apostle Paul, we will imagine for a moment, although perish the thought, was a Trinitarian of the caliber of Mr. Topic. Believing that God eternally exists in three co-equal persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Well, if Paul believed in three co-equal persons and believed the Holy Ghost was a co-equal person with the Father and the Son, why did he write these salutations and name two co-equal persons only and always leave the third co-equal person out in the cold? That's a fair question to ask. Well, you know if Paul were a Trinitarian, believing it as Coffee believes it, he'd have to write grace and peace beyond the youth from God our Father and from God the Son and from God the Holy Ghost. Paul didn't mention the Holy Ghost in no salutation by name, and yet he did mention the Holy Ghost. You know the Bible says God is a spirit. John 4. Speaking of God the Father, that God is a spirit, Mr. Toddy starts in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. Always oh, find God number one. God number one. The second verse. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. Hurrah! <laughs> We've got another God. Extraordinary calculations, aren't they? <laughs> when Jesus said to the woman at the well, the true worshippers must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For he said God, meaning God the Father, is a spirit. In Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, we don't see two gods, we see one God. God our Father, who is a spirit. What John 5 and 7 has been spoken of? God our Father, who is a spirit. What John 5 and 7 has been spoken of quite a lot. <laughs> there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. It doesn't say three persons. Mr. Toddy, if it helps you any, we believe in three. We believe in the Father, 
We believe in the Son, we believe in the Holy Ghost, but we don't believe in three persons. What is the Father to us? The Father to us is the deity which was in the Son. What is the Son to us? The humanity which was the Father's temple. And what is the Holy Ghost? The Spirit of Jesus. And so we say, these three are one. That verse doesn't bother us. Let it be genuine or spurious. Bless your heart, I've heard one that preaches all over the country preach on that verse. Listen, let me tell you, this is where Tommy and all his gang go wrong. They have no conception of the uniqueness of the person of Christ. I said Jesus is unique. What do you mean, McGee? I mean he's more than a man. I mean he is the meeting place of God and man. And therefore Jesus is not ordinary. Jesus is extraordinary. Jesus is unlike any other human that ever walked the stage of history. He's man and he is God. He is an eternal duality as to his nature. Therefore, plurals, find as many plurals as you like and multiply them. We deny that they refer to persons. We say plurals are necessary to describe an incomparable, extraordinary and unique Jesus who was both the Father and the Son and also the Holy Ghost. Remarks have been made about John 14:16. I'll send you another comforter, says Jesus, speaking of the Holy Ghost. And all we have heard is another, 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 another. Why don't you make those slides a little bit more comprehensive? Why leave out the vital verse, verse 18? Here it is. Jesus says, speaking of the comforter, he said, I will not leave you orphans but I will come to you. You couldn't misunderstand that if you tried to. It means that Jesus comes to us in the Holy Ghost. Another comforter, yes, inasmuch as he comforted them first, there in a fleshy capacity, there he was present with them as a man among men. But after he went away, he comes back as the spirit of comfort. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm certainly glad of this opportunity again tonight to answer that speech that my opponent has made. I was sure that he would dwell upon that all the time. It amuses me to see a fellow think he's caught you in a trap. He's loaded all the time. Wait till he gets in the lead. Wait till he does that. And I'll do so and so when he does that. I've known all the time that he thought he had a trap. You know, I don't sign propositions unless I know what they say. I know what he thought. That's the reason he had to write the affirmative proposition. He thought he had it written so it would put me in a position that I couldn't sustain, but I don't sign such things as that. And it'll take more than him to ever get me into something like that. He hasn't been at it long enough for that. And I can warn you now, Mr. McGee, that I don't walk into things like that. I look where I walk. I look where I am going. He reminds me of a fellow who's trying to get you in a trap and then gets into himself. For instance, Solomon said that he that digs a pit shall fall in it. Now we see what he does. You know, he bragged about the propositions that he'd debate. Now here's mine already signed. You said I wouldn't. Now you sign them and hand them both back to me. I want one of them signed too. You didn't sign that and give it to me if you took last night. So, he thinks that he has me where I will not sign. And he says that I'll never debate with another G 
Jesus-only preacher, Pentecostal. Well, I've had two debates with Welch who lives at Pensacola, and Welch, to tell you the truth, in all seriousness, can debate rings around him. Now, that's a fact. And I've had two of him, and Mr. Welch knows I'd be glad to have another one. And here's a fellow here that couldn't even uh, fan the flies off of Welch talking about I won't meet another. I'll tell you, if, well, he said in the last day, you know, he began to talk about that we couldn't comprehend, that we just didn't know. That's the plain way of saying it. Well, he does err not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. Here's their little creed, their little manual, and he talks about you can't comprehend. Well, let me read from this thing a little it says here, in the year 1914, came the revelation on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they didn't know it till then. They didn't even claim to get it from the Bible. They got it from a direct revelation from God. They'd gone all the way from January the 1st, 1900, to 1914 before they ever learned that. And then God had to tell them they were so naive and simple, as he called me last night, that God had to open the heavens and send it down to them and tell them. Now, believe that if you can. If you can believe that, you don't need to have to worry about going to heaven. You'll go there on the baby ticket. Now, here's what he said. That in 1914, that there came a revelation on the name of Jesus Christ. The primitive doctrines of the absolute deity of Jesus Christ and the baptism in his name became tenet of faith. When did it become? Why, in 1914? That's when the whole thing started. And he talks about the Catholic Church. They can tell bigger ones than that. Why, they claim the direct revelation from heaven. And the Mormon church claims the direct revelation from heaven. Joseph Smith got it. Mary Baker Eddy claimed it. And the Mohammedans claim it. And here's my opponent claims it. So you see where he stands, don't you? Right with the rest of all the false prophets. I tell you to beware of any man who comes to you claiming a revelation. Jesus said he'll say that he's in the inner chamber. Go not in the sea. He'll say, lo, here is Christ and lo, there is Christ. Don't go to sea. He'll say he's out in the desert. Don't go out to sea. Don't pay any attention to those fellows who claim a direct operation. He claims that he got the direct revelation from heaven. And they got it in 1914, then they all ran to the Bible to try to prove it. If it came as a direct revelation from God, don't you know it isn't in the Bible? If it had been in the Bible, God wouldn't have had to told you directly. That uh, defeats the whole thing, right there. So he ought to know a few things, he ought, at least he'll learn. Now we'll start in his, uh, Christ was crucified under the Hebrew and the Latin and the Greek. Now you would expect that more than that out of him, wouldn't you? When I gave him the exegesis there, the passage on the Greek word in, why he said, doesn't he know that he was crucified under the Hebrew, the Latin and the Greek? Who wrote that Hebrew, Latin and Greek, Mr. McGee? Look up here. Jesus didn't write that and you know it. You've gone back to Rome. There he is. Who wrote it? Why, old Pilate? Pilate wrote it. And he'll go to Pilate. And he'll go to Pilate tonight. He's already gone away from God. And go to Pilate. Why, Patty, don't you know he was crucified under the Hebrew, the Latin, and the Greek? Yes, but who wrote it? Now, wasn't that smart? You thought you made something there, didn't you? Who wrote that? Tell us when you get up here now. Are you following God or following Pilate? What language did the Savior speak when he was here upon earth? What language was the New Testament written in? 
you know anything about it, you know it's Greek. It wasn't Hebrew, it wasn't Latin. If you want to take the Latin with the Catholic Church, go on with it. You've, taken them, you've gone with them on the direct revelation, you might as well go with it. He even got up and wished all you people a good Catholic uh, holiday here today. And yet he claims he's opposed to the Catholic Church. And he talks about going back to Rome and that's uh, the uh, Catholic doctrine. And yet if he didn't get up and wish you a good Catholic day. Now, you see Christ spoke Greek. He spoke the Kone Greek. And the New Testament was written in the Kone Greek. The New Testament was not written in Hebrew. The New Testament was not written in Latin. That's the reason we use the Greek, because that's the Bible in or the language in which the New Testament was written. And I, I not use the word there. That sounds too much like the vulgarism of the street. But I invite you to say that is the soul. Now try all right, we go further now. I want to chart that the Son said that the Father is greater than I. You know, as I said, it's amusing to see one of those fellows try to trick you. Now, when you uh, debate a proposition, you have a right to define that proposition. And the rules of honorable discussion, which my opponent refused to agree to, says that you cannot force anything upon your opponent unless he openly avows it. Now, I define my proposition, and he evidently paid no attention to it. That says, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. You know what is, uh, Mr. McGee? You know what tense that is? That's in the present tense. He, Jesus said, my father is greater than I. He didn't say he'll be greater all the time. He said he is. Now remember, that's present tense. Let's have a big laugh over that. You're not laughing tonight like you generally do. Let's have a big one. Laugh a big one. You know, he who laughs, laughs does what? Just laugh a big one. You know you've got caught every time you've acted like the, the uh, people of, e of Ephesus. Every time you've got caught in it. Just laugh all you want to. So Jesus said, I go to my Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now my proposition has the present tense, exists. It doesn't say existed. It doesn't say will exist. But Jesus exists. They're equal now. They weren't equal when Jesus was here upon earth. They won't be equal when Jesus comes back again. That's where he missed it when he set his trap. He didn't know the tense of the verb. If he had said that Jesus will be equal when he comes back, I would not have signed it. Because the Bible says he won't. If he had said that Jesus was equal when Jesus was upon earth in his personal ministry, I would not have signed it, for he wasn't. But he wrote it out himself and wrote it in the present tense, exists, and I signed it because it's the truth. All right? Now, does he want the scripture for that? Well, I don't know what he does or not, but I'm going to give it to you. Let's have the lights now, please. In the eighth psalm, we hear the psalmist there when the psalmist said, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Those set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest avenge the enemy and the, uh, mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him. He wasn't that way till God made him that way. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. 
Thou hast given him dominion over all the works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts in the field, and the fowls of the air, and the fish of the sea, and everything that passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Yes, God made Jesus lower than the angels, and he was that way while he was here upon earth. Now laugh a little. You didn't know that was in there, did you? Your trap didn't catch you. Either you didn't catch you. You're coming up. Well, why didn't you come up the other time? You're a long time getting there. Or you come up just like you came up the other time. You just bob up like a cork and down you go again. <laughs> yes, you see, the Bible says, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. You can't make a thing lower than the angels unless he's above the angels. And God's made him lower than the angels. Turn over there to Psalm 8. I don't believe you ever read that. Turn over there and read it. It'll do you good. All right, we've got that. Now he said that the son knows something, the father knows something that the son doesn't know. Why the father doesn't know any such thing as far as he knows now, he did when the son was upon earth. But the son's been made both Lord and Christ now in the second chapter of Acts. Why Peter said, God hath made. He wasn't that way, only God made him. But God therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He knows it all now, Mr. McGee. Don't you think he doesn't? But you know, he said that the 24th chapter of Matthew, talking about the coming of Christ, end of time. Why, that's not what Christ was talking about. Christ said, I pray that your flight be not in the winter. What difference would it make whether Jesus came in the winter time or not, Mr. McGee? Maybe you lived in Florida when there wouldn't be any winter. Don't you know any better than that? Is that the best you know? You'd better go to Pensacola and take lessons from your Mr. Wells. He can teach you. You wouldn't get him into things like that. And he said, pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, Woe unto them that are with child in that day, or to them that give suck. Is he talking about the end of time, Mr. McGee? Do you think he is? Look up here at me. Do you think he's talking about the end of time? What difference would it make whether a woman had a baby at that time or not? Don't you know any better than that? You just have to get down there and beat it into his head, and then he doesn't get it. Now, let me tell you something. Why he wasn't talking about the end of time, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. If he had read the 34th verse, he would have heard there that Jesus said, And this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. Every one of them, he said, and you're still looking for it. You're 2,000 years behind. You haven't gotten 2,000 years of the truth there. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel standing in the holy place, let him that's in the city get out. What difference would it make if it's the coming of Jesus Christ, whether you run out the gate or not? Why, he's talking about the Romans destroying Jerusalem. And the Romans came over under the old Vespasian and went down into the holy place. That was the abomination of the desolation. The Jews saw it. They ran out of the city. Nero was killed at that time. Vespasian ran back to Rome in order to be crowned emperor and sent Titus over with his army. But by the time Titus got there, the Christian Jews were out. That's what Jesus was talking about. Try again. Well, he said he will defend anywhere. We're looking for you to put your name on that proposition. Put your name where your mouth is, and then we'll see whether you'll do it or not. 
Uh, Matthew 12, 31. Matthew 12, 31 says that all manner of blasphemy should be forgiven unto men, except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. He says, he that speaks the word against the Son, it shall be forgiven unto him. But he that speaks the word against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven unto him in this world, neither in the world to come. The word world there is translated from the Greek word oion, which means a dispensation. Jesus standing at the very close of the old Jewish dispensation says, virtually you can reject me. You can talk about me. The Pharisees had just told him that he cast out devils but the above the prince of the devil. And Jesus said, you can talk about me. You can reject me. But if you talk about the Holy Spirit, if you reject the Holy Spirit, when he comes with the last law, there will be no more forgiveness. You have no other law. And not talking about one knowing more than the other. All right. He says, God can't pray. Well, I've been trying to get you all the time to tell me who was praying on the cross. Who was it? I asked you time and again in the other speech to please tell me what a man does when he prays. And you could have forgot it, didn't you? Did you? You want to talk now and tell me what he does when he prays? You forgot it, didn't you? Write it down so you'll say it the next time. You folks here, why he knows if he says what a man says, what does when he prays, he's got two. They said Jesus was not uh, the one praying on the cross, that was not the, the Christ. He said last night that Jesus would cover, that he would be whole flesh. That was all there was. He said he's holy humanity. He told me that, and I said, all right. Matthew 25, 31 says that Jesus, Son of Man, is going to sit upon the throne of his glory and he's going to judge the world. I said, is that going to be flesh? And he said, yes. And then I came back with this. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And you know what he had the audacity to say? He said, no, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus shed all of his blood and his flesh went to heaven. You talk about being wise, why people gonna think you otherwise. You talk like that. Look up here at me now. I didn't see any crop very long, did I? No time for personality. It's a pity he didn't think of that the first night. It's a pity he didn't think about no time for personalities when he was up here telling that false statement about the church of Christ not believing in the deity of Jesus. Why didn't you think about it then? You didn't think about it like coming back and cut your theological head off with it. Then you began to think about it when I brought up that little David that they went along and practiced that fraudulent fraud upon all the people for a long time. No, they don't want personalities now. But it was all right last night to say that Toddy's so naive and simple that he doesn't know so-and-so. You had time then, didn't you? His time's getting where it's worth more. First Corinthians 15, there Paul said, That as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Whatever man is on order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of the God, when he shall have put down all rule and power and authority. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he said all things are under him, it is manifest that he is accepted who did put all things under him. And when all things should be subdued unto him, then the Son himself will be subject unto him who did put all things under him. I couldn't get him to notice that when he is in the affirmative. And if he didn't come back tonight and knock his former proposition into smithereen, trying to prove that they're not going to be equal, and if he did, now believe it or not, if the poor man didn't use that scripture to prove they'll not be equal, that Christ will be under the Father. 
What do you all think about him now? And yet you advertise him as coming from Belfast, Ireland. You ought to put a bell on him so he could find his way home. <laughs> what do you know about that? Not your proposition in the smithereen, trying to break mine down by proving that Christ was under God. That's what I said all the time. But that's going to be when he comes again, not now. You want to deal with it in the present tense. Did you ever see anything like that? He isn't doing anything. He reminds me of the two little boys in the basement. They got right quiet. And when two boys get quiet, you know there's something else. Their mother called down and said, George, what are you doing down there? And he said, nothing. She said, Bill, what are you doing? He said, I'm helping George. That's the way he's doing nothing. Nothing to do. Well, we'll pass now on to the next one. He said, we have, uh, we have a son who will be subject to the father. That's his direct statement. We have a son who will be subject to his father. But he's been arguing all the time that it will not be. He's been saying that I was wrong when I brought up the scripture to prove that. And tonight, if he didn't turn bad face and use my scripture to prove that that he will not be equal to the Father thinking he's going to break my proposition down. You couldn't see a stone wall three inches in front of your nose. <laughs> now, Mr. Erskine, if I were you, and this is just friendly advice, I'd try to get somebody else, Carl Welch from down in Florida. That man can't do anything. He's got you people into stuff you'll never be able to get out of. You'll have to get somebody. He's you. Now I want the chart over there where there are three that bear record in heaven. <laughs> laugh about it. You better laugh now, you won't feel like you when it's over. He said that doesn't say person. Now is there anybody in here who went as far as the sixth grade that doesn't know that person? For there are three. That's by record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And I showed how that was. Now let's have the chart that says, I pray the Father. He says, that's not person. Yet he wouldn't tell us what it is to pray. And we'll see if that isn't person. Is there anybody who will say that isn't person? I pray now personal pronoun, first person singer, will pray transitive verb, the Father, object of the transitive verb pray, and he, personal pronoun, he, will give you another comforter whom the world cannot see, but, uh, whom the world cannot receive, for it neither knows him nor sees him. Personal pronoun and life, please. If he didn't have the unmitigated audacity to say that's not personal. Now, I'm not going to ask you if they've got any schools in Ireland because I know they have. But did you ever study English? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll not tell you I dare you to do it. But I challenge you to diagram that, analyze it. Will you do it? Look up here. Will you do it? If you can't get one of those little girls there to do it for me. I just challenged him to diagram that. I mean the analyzing. Get up and tell us the parts of speech. Will you do it? He won't do it. He won't do it because he knows if he did, he'd go back. All right. Well, now Hebrews 5, 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he be. Yes, though he were a son. We're not talking about now, we're talking about then. When Jesus was upon earth, he was in fear to the Father. Yes, like Psalms 8 tells us he was. Now we go on further. And he said that God the Son is unscriptural. That he was never called God the Son. 
Did you hear that? Well, we'll teach him a little more. In Hebrews, the first chapter and the eighth verse, But he said unto the Son, the son Thy throne, O God. What did he call him? He called him God. But he says that's unscriptural. Acts 20, 28, Take hey, heed therefore of yourselves to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Jesus Christ purchased it with his blood. So the Son was called God. Now, if he'd remember that, we'll teach him something. Now, he says that we could not find the Son in the Old Testament. Turn with me to Daniel 7, 13. Daniel said, And I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came in the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, and there was given him a kingdom, dominion, and glory. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom that which shall stand forever. Oh, yes, there it is. You know that's the easiest thing on earth to catch him. Doesn't he know anything about the Bible? Doesn't he know anything about what's in the Bible? All right. Now he says that the Son is not into eternal. That the Bible never said that the Son was eternal in I couldn't find that in the Bible, and he'd do this, and he'd do that, and he wanted me to find it. Well, he ought to have already found it. It's in the 8th chapter of John and the 35th verse. That says, The Son is eternal. Turn there and read. And now he comes over here to 1 John 5, 7. I've answered that. Jesus came as comforter. He said Jesus was the comforter. I call your attention again to John 16, where Jesus said it is expedient for you I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. In other words, Jesus said, if I don't go away, I won't come back. I've got to go away so I can come back. I'll go out the door and I'll come back. If I don't go out the door, I'll come back. And so he talked about his wife. He said, my wife is my sweetheart. I get a letter from my wife and I get a letter from my sweetheart. When he goes home, does his wife have to go out the door so his sweetheart can come in? That's the question. You, you clear that up. Jesus said, I've got to leave so the comforter comes. <laughs> yeah, that's got to happen. <laughs> now, that's his sweetheart. <laughs> now, he thought he had something there. But Jesus said, I've got to leave, so, my, so the comforter will come. And he likened him unto his wife and his sweetheart. He said, they're all the same. Now, I don't mean to reflect on him. I'm just showing you how he uses the English language. That there isn't anything to it. And how easy it is to catch him up on his homespun arguments that they originated since 19 and 14 to try to get something that would uh, suit the occasion. Now I have one scripture I want you to notice that will show you that Jesus was made lower than God. I turn you now to the second chapter of Philippians. We'll begin with the fifth and sixth, seventh and eighth verses. There Paul the Philippian writer said, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made for himself no reputation, but humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, and humbled himself unto death, even to the death of the cross, whom God has highly exalted above every name that's named. Don't you see? He came and humbled himself. He went under it. But the Bible says that God hath exalted him above every name. When did he exalt him? When he went back to heaven. And when Paul wrote the church after, in the first chapter and about the 18th verse beginning, we have told him, he said, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? When he wrote Christ, which he wrote in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right, set him in his own right hand, far above all principalities and heavenly places. 
and put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things unto the church which is his body. He wasn't sadly went back to heaven. He was a humble servant upon earth. He took upon the form of a man. The Bible says he humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. But then it says that God exalted him. Wherefore, that means because he did that, because he humbled himself to a servant, because he stepped off his throne in glory, because he left the riches of heaven, because he came to earth in order to save poor man. He stepped in the place of man, and that's what's meant. When it says that he died, he was numbered with the transgressors, and he placed himself as a sinner, not a sinner, but as a sinner, numbered as a transgressor. And that's the reason he died upon the cross. Praying to God, he died like a sinner. And he said, by God, by God, why hast thou forsaken me? As the sinner will see when he comes to die, that God has forsaken him. Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. He was not a sinner, but he took upon us, upon himself, the sins of the world, and died away from God, and cried for God, Why, God, thou, why hast thou forsaken me? And God said, Because of that, that I have exalted him, for above every name that's named in heaven and on earth. Now that's easy. That's the reason I signed the proposition. And I knew what I was doing when I signed it. That Jesus humbled himself. That he took upon him the, the, the form of a servant. The, a form of a, ser a servant. And there that he died upon the cross, died for you. He couldn't die as God on the throne in heaven. God sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And he walked for 33 years up and down the hills of Palestine, uh, suffering all the hardships. And Paul said in, in Hebrews 4.14, Seeing we have such a high priest who is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ the righteous, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that was in all points tempted like as we are. Yes, but he isn't that way now. He's now, as Peter said on the day of Pentecost, in the 36th verse of Acts 2, when he said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know surety that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And thank you. Mr. Toddy doesn't agree, doesn't uh, appreciate the Irish. I said Mr. Toddy apparently doesn't appreciate the Irish. He'd rather have the Welsh. Well, I don't think I have ever at any time claimed to be as brilliant a logician or as good a debater or Bible scholar as Mr. Welch. I don't think I have. But when this challenge came up, we are not the challengers, don't forget. We try to live at peace with all men as much as lies in our power. When this challenge came up, our brethren didn't consider that they needed to bring the best we've got. In order to deal with Mr. Todd. Top 
Dorothy, dear, don't flatter yourself. <laughs> We'd consider sending a Sunday school teacher out against you. We've heard for two nights running about a certain religious manual, direct revelation and some other clap trap. Can I remind my honorable opponent that we are not here to discuss the manual? <laughs> 